This is Divorce and Done with Rob and Darren. You're listening to the Best Divorced Podcast. Rob and Darren, the Best Divorced Podcast. The Best Divorced Podcast. Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt, the Best Divorced Podcast on the internet. In our opinion, talking about your family law issues, Darren Schmidt, we're recording this on a Monday. It is... Halloween Eve, if you will. How you doing? I'm feeling scared and spooky and all the range of emotions that you could feel on the eve of Halloween. How are you um, feeling? What uh, what what standard chocolate bar treat is your favorite of the seven available mini chocolate r- bars that we now question. see? I will answer that by avoiding that all day. I, no, I, I, I like the coffee crisp. The coffee crisp is, coffee sure. crisp is excellent. But I, in honor of Halloween, have a, a chocolate peanut butter ice cream in my fridge mm. that I've been enjoying since the weekend. And before we started recording this evening, instead of eating a bucket of little chocolate bars, as I easily could do, I just had some more of this. It's a Chapman's product. It's excellent peanut butter cup ice cream so that's my in place of but I, i'm going off on a tangent uh coffee crisp is my go-to what is your as you say darren from the really crappy limited selection of halloween candy versus when you and i were children holy smokes not quite but almost 30 years ago when i remember there used to be way more stuff available but now it's just a handful of nestle products what do you like is my memory is you, your memory's like mine on this in that yeah, as children there, there was tons would, of stuff in your mind you, you would just your memory is a pillow sack filled with yes. a true variety of candy like a true the, variety like, of candy where, where did these people buy this stuff you don't see it the rest of the year and it's not just as you say the coffee crisp the arrow the Kit Kat the Smarties Skittles Twix Skittles yeah like I miss I miss seeing raisins. Remember getting the raisins? Mm-hmm. You'd throw those things right in the trash, probably. A little California Sun action? I think that's what they were. <laughs> California Sun or California Raisins? What was the one with the, the woman on the package? Yeah, I forget. California Sun. If yeah, you know, yeah. you can write in and let us know. If, you, if you're handing out raisins this year, just email us. Say, raisins. And well, let us know what the, uh, the, the most popular brand of Halloween raisin treats Well, I, I am concerned if someone's passing out raisins. For no other reason than not just passing out raisins, but I don't think you can buy those anymore. So if you're passing out raisins this year, how long have those been sitting on the floor in your pantry beside that <laughs> bag of expired flour? Like, You've recycled them from your childhood. Like they're, <laughs> <laughs> they don't expire. They're right. fine. Just they they just get more dried out. <laughs> uh, we have some maybe some questions that have dated and dried out but we'll get to them today we're oh, trying to never move through dry. this no um two ways to send us questions email lawyers plural lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or by voicemail speakpipe.com slash divorced and done a and d done and we'll try and get to it we're recording more we're enjoying being back into the podcast loop hearing from you and seeing each other Rob and I through the podcast world. So shall we roll into some questions tonight? Rob, what do you think? Hey, 
it's either that or we keep reminiscing about old Halloween candy. And I'm sure the folks would like to hear us talk about uh, the questions that they eagerly want answered. Okay, no more candy banter. On to the divorce law banter, which is why you're paying the big bucks for this podcast to listen to us. <laughs> I wish we got a box of raisins, man. <laughs> okay, question one says, divorce question. Hi, I'm a divorced father of two presently with 50-50 custody, or what we would call parenting time. My ex is threatening legal action against me because... I have spanked my kids when they have misbehaved. I have two questions. Number one, if I slap my kids on their behinds when they misbehave, does it justify a court changing our present custody order from 50-50 parenting time? Is this considered abuse? So let's just pause on this question, Rob. I mean, of course, we need some more information about what this um, discipline, you may call it, actually constitutes, like what's actually going on here. We can all imagine kind of what's happening here, but what, you know, how often is this happening? What's happened here? All those bits and pieces. But what do you think to this, this question? Uh, very squarely on the two questions. Part one, does it justify changing the court order uh, from shared parenting? And is it considered abuse? Unfortunately, maybe. And depending on how dead set your ex is on taking this back into court without knowing what's going on at all, uh, even if in your mind your spanking is appropriate and in your mind acceptable parenting, the moment someone raises this with the court, the court may have questions. And if your ex here phones uh, Child and Family Protective Services, those folks might be getting involved as well, even if in your mind your actions are reasonable. Uh, and I think for you, I would suggest, because you do have shared parenting, we don't know how long you've been in that structure, you don't necessarily want to threaten that uh, and jeopardize going to a different parenting structure. I think it's a golden opportunity to look at your own parenting and say, instead of having this discussion and potential litigation that could be lengthy, long, and expensive around, is the manner by which you're spanking your children acceptable? Is there a better way you can be disciplining your children when they're in your care and being more constructive during your parenting time such that your answer can be really easy. Of course, I don't slap my children when they behave or spank them. We don't even have to consider that because I have different parenting tools in my parenting toolbox. And that way we're, we're not considering what it is or is it abuse or what is it? Uh, because Darren and I, I know you and I have had numerous experiences in court where there are plenty of judges because those judges, they hear an allegation, they're not necessarily going to take the time to go through the details of every event, particularly if something is brought forward quickly in chambers. If there is a tiniest hint of abuse or harm to a child, Pending a fuller investigation from Child Protective Services, you're likely going to have supervised parenting time or worse, having your parenting time suspended before that investigation can be completed. So in my view, is that worth it? No. Uh, find a better way to parent and discipline your children. What are your thoughts? I agree. I think 
to you, listener, you need to, um, I, I'm going to assume this from the tone of the question, um, mm-hmm. presume this, put aside your um, political views or um, broader views on where society is and whether, you know, physically disciplining a child is right or wrong. Because Rob, you and I are not discussing that issue. What we're saying Correct. is from the lens of a judge, it's very likely that the judge is not going to look favorably at physically disciplining a child. In fact, there's almost a, uh, I don't want to say a hundred percent certainty, but close to that, that a judge is going to hear, if they hear that evidence, they're not going to stand up and, or, or sit there at the bench and go, oh, that's wonderful. We love, we love when people physically discipline their child. They're, they're just not. So whether you agree politically with that issue is distinct from what's the best legal course of action. And you've made the appropriate recommendation here, Rob, which is what, what other tools do you have here so that you're not trying to make a political argument in court about whether it's appropriate to discipline a child physically, uh, which is a losing argument, <clears throat> Uh, or not, you, you just, you don't want any hint that you're doing that. And, um, there's a real stigma, I think now, um, certainly legally, but more broadly around physically disciplining a child. Again, we're not, we're not passing any judgment on that, but from a legal standpoint, don't do it because you don't want to give evidence to your ex or, uh, more broadly, just sort of do the wrong things when it comes to managing the importance of having your children in your life and maintaining this shared parenting arrangement. So, which we assume you want to continue doing. So let's go to the second part of this question, which is a child support question. So if we do, listener says, if we do shift from the shared 50-50 parenting to, to every other weekend, in other words, that he would have every other weekend, will the child support arrangement change? And then he, he says, I suspect that's the main motivation for my ex accusing me of the child abuse. Thanks in advance. Okay, so why don't I leap in on this? Um, Please do. This listener comes from, he stated earlier in the question, but I didn't state it, uh, New York or NY, I assume New York. So uh, I don't know the laws for child support in New York, but I'm going to assume, so don't hold me to this, but I'm going to assume if you shift the parenting structure, that child support would likely shift as well, should you and your ex want to agree on that. And, and if you don't, and it goes before a judge, um, I, I'm going to make the assumption that child support would shift. Get advice from a New York lawyer specifically on this issue. However, more broadly, and for our Canadian listeners, uh, we've talked about the difference between Section 9 child support calculations and Section 3 child support calculations under our federal child support guidelines in Canada. So it's a good opportunity to just remind our Canadian listeners specifically of those provisions. Section 9 governs shared parenting arrangements where one parent has parenting time at least 40% of the time. That gets you into that Section 9 calculation. And the standard is you would do a net set-off approach. I call it net set-off where you look at what parent A would pay parent B uh, for child support using their respective incomes, and then you do the reverse calculation and you offset the two the two values for the net difference in child support on a monthly basis under the guidelines. That's the standard calculation under Section 9. 
However, if you go to section nine and you read it, that's not literally what it says, but more often than not, it defaults to that net set off calculation. Section three of the child support guidelines governs uh, primary parenting scenarios where there's not one parent with at least 40% of the time, in which case you're looking at only the payor parent's income and running that calculation under the federal child support guidelines to determine what their monthly child support amount is. So if someone has at least 40% of the parenting time in Canada, you have a shared parenting arrangement, you do your section nine calculation to determine child support. If you if you were to shift from that, like this listener says, from 50-50 to every other weekend, then you'd be shifting your child support calculation to section three from section nine. However, this listener's from New York, so I don't know what the section nine and section three equivalents are, if any, in the wonderful state of New York. And I'm almost certain you don't as well, Rob, but any additional thoughts on this? No, your thoughts are exactly right, especially if you go uh, from the 50-50 or shared parenting to every other weekend. Of course, every other weekend is well below that 40% threshold uh, that we generally have enshrined here in Canada and use as our metric for measuring shared parenting. Um, I, I... I wish the listener well. I think in this situation, I would just come back to the core of what we said. Uh, really consider how you're parenting your children, how you're uh, disciplining them, and don't use family court as the mechanism by which to have a consideration or lengthy litigation on what parenting method is best. Uh, consider some other tools in that toolbox. Okay, question two. The title is Relo- Re- Speak much? Relocation Questions, Alberta. Okay, great. Listener says, um, hey guys, I'm wondering if you can help me think about this and whether I'm going about it the right way. I work out of town. Uh, I was a stay-at-home mom until 2023, and I did get a good job. Um, my ceiling would be set at about 90,000 a year if I could work when I wanted. I have three children, so I have been shuffling the kids to other places during my two weeks working. I've had a a hard time uh, finding um, live-in childcare because no one likes the 247 schedule that I'm on for two weeks. And currently, without moving closer to work, I spend about two two weeks without seeing my kids at all, except for video calls. And um, that's not something that I'm enjoying. I can also make uh, $35,000 a year because I have to take time off and balance spending it with them. My ex works in British Columbia full-time and only sees the kids 20 days a year and sometimes only for 12 hours at a time. He says he won't allow me to take the kids uh, from his family because I have support there, um, but I deny that, in other words, in BC. Um, I want to move closer to work so I don't have to be gone half the year and can see the kids every day. My ex is objecting to this because he says it's not convenient for his visit days. Currently, he sees them at his convenience and I'm expected to drop everything and shuffle our lives around him. I'm, I'm moving three hours away from him. And when we first separated, he moved three hours away as well. Um, so... He, the listener says, my access suggestion was I quit my job, find something else, but the nature of my job will take me away from the kids. Uh, he won't 
step up and take primary and work out um, childcare for himself. Um, just sort of wrapping up the balance of this question, uh, Rob, it looks like we have basically a schmoz here of parenting time between two locations, two parents that can't seem to see eye to eye about where they should be living and who should be doing what in terms of work and all those things. So maybe we package this more broadly into two parents with complex work schedules with children and no agreement about what parenting time might look like. If I was to package this in a very broad way for anyone at home, maybe following along with the question. Um, thoughts? Have I missed anything? I know you're looking at the question. No, well. and you did a great job reading this. And I'll, I'll let everyone know. I think we've talked about this before. The way we do this show, uh, we don't really prep an immense amount before we start recording these. You and I are both just reading these out of our shared email inbox uh, and reading them together as we prepare for this episode. So, and we appreciate, of course, every email we get and the more information we receive means we can answer the questions a bit better. Uh, but this one has tons of information and Darren, you did a great job pulling out the high points. So what I'm seeing is both parties uh, live in BC. Mom was primarily the stay-at-home parent of the children. Dad works a lot and really doesn't see the children very much. She could move to Alberta and potentially make more money maybe have better supports and not be stuck at home with the children all the time when there isn't support otherwise. And I think she wants to know about her ability to relocate. Uh, and it looks like there she has some family where she might be relocating. I think in this situation, and it, it used to be, we used to be much more firm saying, if someone moves and you're going to deny someone uh, a parenting relationship or change that parenting for the parent that's in the old jurisdiction in favor of the parent moving to the new jurisdiction that may or may not be valid. But in this situation, because it looks like, as she said, the most important sentence I'm seeing here, he works full time and only sees the children 20 days a year and sometimes for only 12 hours at a time. If she's moving, she could probably still honor the existing parenting structure for dad. So even though she's living somewhere else and her life is different and the kid's life is a little bit different, his parenting time isn't really going to change. And in that situation, given that she could make significantly more money by relocating and potentially improving her lifestyle and by extension improving the children's lifestyle and being closer uh, to other family, I think it says her grandmother, I'd suggest that's a pretty reasonable thing to do. Uh, he, she writes here, his suggestion was I quit my job and find something else to do because it will take him away from the kids. I'm not hearing that. It sounds like he's satisfied that you're perhaps not fulfilling your full potential where you want to do that. And he's using his limited contact with your children or limited parenting time, excuse me, as an excuse. I think the listener here has a very good chance of seeking to relocate if she has not done this already. Uh, because the test for moving is best interest of the children you're still honoring dad in this situation because his parenting time is already nominal. It will largely be the same if you locate, relocate. Uh, I'm really not seeing it down here. Darren, do you have any different thoughts? No, I mean, I think the more I have handled relocation issues on files, 
the more I see the issue of uh, relocation, just anecdotally in my practice, really more often than not, there's not any shocker decisions from the court when it comes no. to that. Yep. It's sort of a use your intuition and yep. if it makes sense for someone to move with the kids on balance of sort of a, a bunch of factors framed through the best interests of the child or children in the issue in the relocation case then more often than not the court does it and so it's actually great when you get on a file with with another lawyer and you've you're able to come to an agreement right off the top through your clients, of course, that sure, this relocation makes sense. Let's devote our energy to what the best parenting arrangement would be for everybody, given that there's consent on that big issue right off the top. I think that and makes this fast move really You had that really recently, well. did you not? And I think that made a file move very quickly for you. Yeah, I was uh, acting for the parent that was consenting to the move. And right. I sort of looked at the file, sat down with my client and said, here's what opposition to the relocation would look like. I actually pulled, uh, I think it was about seven cases over the last five years out of BC with nearly identical facts to his case. And I was able to see from those seven cases that in only one instance was the parent opposing the move successful. And I won't get into all the facts, but that case was somewhat distinguishable. So I said, you know, you, you stand a very slim chance of success. If we just look historically at these seven comparable cases. So I don't think it makes a lot of sense to oppose the move. I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense to say, let's consent to the move. And then let's move on to the second part, which is what does this parenting arrangement look like now that we're consenting to the move? And we actually had a four-way settlement meeting with the other party and their lawyer at my office. And we spent three quarters of a day talking about all the nuts and bolts of what that would look like. Who's going to pay flight costs? What are the windows of time in a calendar year that the child would spend with each parent in different parts of the country? It was, you know, time well spent because we ended up bashing out, you know, a, a, three or four page consent order and it all got done in three quarters of a day. I had my laptop there and we were doing the terms live right in the room. I, I imagine really well. by conceding the big piece off the top saying, yes, we're going to let you move. We're not going to fight that piece because of course that is the biggest piece opposition to a move. Your person got to write, I assume basically their own terms on everything else that they wanted. And got largely what they wanted, I would expect. I sort of ran the, the math on the back end. So once we did consent to the move, they they provided an offer for what parenting time would look like. Once we got to the four-way settlement meeting, I think we increased the amount of time from what they had initially stated by about 40%. So we almost Great. you know, in, increased it, uh, not double, but by oh, close to 50%, somewhere around there. And I think that that worked. Both parties bought into it. And they both bought into a solution. So they're very likely to follow that and mm -hmm. trust each other and execute that parenting arrangement practically as the years roll by with a lot more buy-in. And that'll That's reflect great value for child, everybody. So. Yes. I thought so. So um, 
Cool. Anyway, back to the question. I, I think that might be a good approach. I think that's the answer. Let's, uh, let's end on a third question, which is a relocation question as well. Uh, the title is custody rights question. Um, but I've kind of been reading this, so that I, this is also a relocation issue. I'm separated from my significant other. Um, uh, we are not married, but we've been together for 11 years. We have two children ages aged seven and nine. I currently moved away from him about four hours away, I'm assuming by, by car, due to domestic violence, which uh, unfortunately had been ongoing since we met. I had to go to treatment to deal with the trauma related to this. I currently just want to get my children and I don't want to live anywhere close to him. I have the financial help to get my own home and I'm currently deciding which job I would like to have. I just want to know what's legally right for me to do because I don't have the money to spend on a lawyer and I want to just go and get them from the children from school one day and come back uh, to my current residence four hours away without him knowing my new address. And I want to block his phone number. Um, now she says his name's on the birth certificate, but he has um, a criminal record uh, from prior domestic violence as well. Um, I have in hand text messages as the listener, I have in hand text messages where he threatens uh, the kids will have no parents before they just have one parent, which is, uh, that's quite upsetting. Uh, he's trying to get my children to choose which household they want to live in. Um, the listener, uh, this is a, again, a U.S. question, li lives in one state and the ex and the children live in another. Uh, again, she says, my plan was to get them and to just disappear until I can draw up a custody arrangement agreement and have him served as well as seeking a restraining order. I'm fearful that he would get upset when he finds out I would not be coming back home with the children. Um, I've called around and can't get any advice from lawyers and appreciate your time. So this is a pretty heavy question. Lots going on here, Rob. What do you think? Yeah, I think first, number one, if there are active safety concerns for you and your children from your ex and, and you are sincerely concerned that he's going to be violent with you or your children, your first step probably is seeking a, what we call in Canada or in BC and Alberta, an emergency protection order. And that's something you can get ex parte, meaning you can just go to court and ask for it without serving him. There are no papers. There are no documents. You just go and ask for it. And if there's been reason for you to flee or there's reason uh, that you're actively scared of him phoning the police, as Darren always says. It was actually Darren that said this first when we started practicing. Step one, when you're facing a scary situation is not phone a lawyer, it's phone the police. And the police will likely have tools for you in that first instance, in that first moment for you and your children to be safe. So, and we're not American lawyers. I don't like the notion of just grabbing your children and fleeing a jurisdiction, that's likely going to be an issue for you. In Canada, that would be an issue here. Uh, talk to the police. They're the ones who can give you the tools to be immediately safe with a protection order. And assuming, uh, as we did earlier with our listener from New York, that laws are similar in the jurisdiction that you are in to where we are in Western Canada, 
once you do get a protection order, assuming that this is a valid reason for one and the court's going to grant one, from there, once that contact between you, your ex, and your children is essentially stayed or paused for a period of time, then would be the time to try and find a lawyer, talk about parenting steps, and putting in place a parenting plan that makes sense or not in the event, as you say, he's a criminal with um, past serious domestic violence on his record. We don't know if that's about the listener or her family or what the past is here. So those pieces will be really important. Uh, But if you can't find a lawyer, and this is what we would say in our jurisdictions, you're the sort of person if you can't afford that lawyer and these sorts of issues that would really be helped by uh, legal aid of whatever form of legal aid is available to you they may not be able to help you with your entire family matter meaning they might not help with support issues or property issues if those pieces are live but they should be able to help you with these initial steps to stabilize your safety, that of your children, and put a parenting regime in place that makes sense for you and your family with your ex, it may be, as the listener here suggests, that there is no contact between uh, the listener's ex and her children and their family. But as you and I know, Darren, that's usually rare. There may be something in place, some supervised contact Uh, or supervised parenting time, excuse me, something else in the interim. But all of that is highly fact-dependent, and I don't want to speculate on any of that other than saying your plan, as she says, to, quote, just disappear until you can have him served is likely not in your best interest because if you do that or move the children without consent could be grounds for him going to court and having the children flipped to his care primarily. Uh, If you don't go and raise your legitimate concerns, if you do have safety concerns with the court first. Uh, And that would be our best recommendation to do that. Don't flee your jurisdiction because we trust there's police and support services there that can keep you safe uh, if you aren't feeling safe. And then work through the legitimate parenting issues that are there uh, once those protection orders potentially are in place. What's your view, Darren? Um, I agree. I I think when you you read you know that you read questions like this i think you get the sense that everything is happening all at once right and it's all it's just too much like there's too much going on the stress of this the stress of getting a lawyer the stress of life the stress like the, there's so much happening i think the best way to think about this is in little parts so you went through it really well. The, the little parts in my mind would be, you know, are you immediately at risk of harm or are your kids at immediate risk of harm? If yes, call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, if no, then don't involve the police. Uh, little piece two, next part is, you know, that issue of restraining order or protection order. Really, the essence of that, speaking from a Canadian perspective, and this varies from even province to province, but broadly is, are there, is there a risk, a, a reasonable risk of future harm of some sort, physical or emotional harm? If there's no risk of future harm, but just a bunch of bad stuff has happened, and I'm not minimizing it, 
in the past, then even a protection order is probably not uh, the right way to go about it. Because a protection order is there to protect against the likely risk of future harm. So you're sort of having to forecast in the future, is, am I or my children or both at risk of harm in the future? Is there some reasonable risk? If so, then you know you might need to pursue that restraining or protection order. That's the second part. And then more broadly, the parenting arrangement in place now that you're four hours down the road and that whole issue, that is not solved by disappearing, as you say, Rob. That is solved by, um, you know, rolling up your sleeves yourself and working with a lawyer, be it a, a legal aid lawyer or a retained lawyer or even something like a duty counsel lawyer where there might be a lawyer available at a local courthouse on certain dates and times of the week where you can go get some preliminary free legal advice and what that looks like. But that bigger, where are the kids going to live issue, that's not going to be solved immediately. Uh, That, you know, you need to work on that. And we would say, get some legal help. I know it's daunting to think about the notion of paying a retainer to a lawyer. However, setting yourself back by absconding with the children, and I do say setting yourself back, that would be a worse decision than paying for a lawyer to give you some proper, even preliminary advice on that third piece that I'm discussing, which is where your kid's going to live. So think about it in sort of little pieces and break it down and think about options for all those stages. And of course, more broadly, I'm encouraged by the, the notion of getting other professionals involved like counselors for the trauma therapy and maybe even in this instance given the financial constraints and concerns i'm hearing getting some um, financial advice not from a financial advisor but maybe um, credit counseling or money management uh, pieces getting a bunch of professionals in your life that can really help you transition to this new important phase of your life is i think something you should think about more broadly but of course we wish you well and we hope all goes well for you and your kids in this trying moment and i think that concludes our questions for this week so keep sending them in uh spooky or not spooky on the uh, on the eve of halloween spooky uh, uh, super spooky, and I, I don't know, maybe it's even more spooky, because by the time this episode is released, even though we're now enjoying that beautiful jazz selection in the background here, Darren, uh, it's like early November by the time we've edited this and posted it, so hopefully everyone had a very happy Halloween, and if you're lucky, you did get raisins and some other assortments of Halloween candy, and not just the standard Nestle Flair, fair, excuse me. We look forward to being with you again. Thank you for sending us your questions. Happy Halloween, and we'll see you soon.